From St. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, love bears all things. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, sometimes I'm sitting in the pew and I get convicted. I almost preached, I almost ditched my sermon today to preach something different for you. Two things out of Jeremiah, firstly, and the psalm, which was beautiful, that it is clear, biblically speaking, from a biblical ethic, that God, even in the womb, from the moment of your conception and mine, is there. That he has a plan for you and for me from the very moment of our existence, from creation. Fascinating. I almost preached on that this morning, and I almost preached on, if I'd thought of it, if I knew Dr. Haygood was reading Jeremiah, when he says in verse 9, Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Man, you've got a terrible overbite. <laughs> and I'm not going to do that either. Instead, I'm going to talk to you today about uh, the most dangerous, misunderstood four-letter word in the Christian vocabulary. You know what it is? <laughs> Love. And if you were here last night, and we, this church was packed last night, we had the choir from St. James Hagerstown, our own choir, and the St. Edward's choir here. It was a glorious thing. I preached the same sermon, but it, something else might squeak out, depending upon what the Holy Spirit gives me today. But I want to dial in on this idea of love, because love is something which really defines a Christian. And I will confess to you today, something amongst friends, amongst my uh, church, that it surprises a lot of people when they find out that when I was a younger man, I wasn't always a Christian. I said to the students last night, I certainly was not always a choir boy. And I will, I will confess to you that I really wrestled with Christianity. I really wrestled with it. And in fact, when I was in middle school all the way through high school, I thought Christianity was moronic and stupid and a waste of time. And I'll tell you why, in my mind, Christians were like that caricature which the Simpsons portrays so well, Ned Flanders. You know Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, who is this sort of always nice guy, always kind, never gets angry, never gets frustrated, and when he really gets mad, he says, oh fiddly dee, which I've never said, and I hope I never do. The problem was, when I was, as a younger man, I thought Christianity was, in one word, just stupid. And the reason I did is it all boiled down to my misunderstanding of this word, love. That Christians, stay with me, this will resonate with you. As a younger man, when I was getting my feet around this Christianity thing, people said that God was a God of love. Love, right? And that God loved me. Well, to my ears, that just sounded hopelessly naive and stupid and kind of a little pathetic. You know why? Because life is hard. Life stinks oftentimes. Life is oftentimes a rotten place full of suffering. Amen? Is that true or not? And so to tell, when I was 18 years old, my parents divorced. It was a shock to everybody. I had a great family growing up. My parents divorced when I was 18. My whole world crumbled. And you're going to tell me that God loves me? Yeah, okay, fine. But so what? And in fact... My friend Chris Marino was a good buddy of mine. We were out driving. I was 19 years old. We were in Westchester uh, Borough and in outside Philadelphia. We pulled up to a stoplight. There was a car in front of us with a bumper sticker, and we both noticed it, 
and I now know it was from the Holy Spirit, we both noticed it, and Chris leaned forward and read it out loud. Do you know what it said? It said, smile. And he leaned forward and said, smile, God loves you. And he looked at me and he said, so what? This is important, friends, because so many people misunderstand what this love business is. Is it just puppy dogs and fairy tales and, what you say this morning, uh, scented oils and this sort of namby-pamby naive thing? No. It's real. And I'm going to talk about this today briefly from St. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. First, what is love? And secondly, what does it look like? You ready? What is love? And what does it look like? So what is love? Well, <laughs> Plato, you know Plato, right? Not Plato, but Plato the philosopher. Plato said that, <laughs> that love was a grave mental disease. That's what Plato said. Rodney Dangerfield, this is a good, funny one. Rodney Dangerfield once said, my wife and I were happy for 25 years. And then we met. <laughs> <laughs> But, but in both of those, I mean, who could be more diverse than Plato and Rodney Dangerfield? But both of those guys, their, 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 their observation stems from a problem, and it was my problem too. They perceived love as primarily an emotion, but it's not. In fact, in the, you may not know this, the, uh, the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek, Koine Greek, it's simplified Greek. And, which I had to learn in seminary, which was very helpful. And there are actually four different words in the New Testament that all get translated L-O-V-E. There are four of them, four different words. They are, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important. There is the word philios, which we translate as brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, right? Philios, that's number one, translated as love. Number two is the word eros, which is sexual love between a man and a woman. Erotic love gets translated love, eros. Third one is the word storge. This is rare in the New Testament. But storge is the inherent love a parent has for a child, even when they misbehave. And the fourth one, which is we're going to dial in on, is the word agape. And agape is the word that you almost universally see in the New Testament. Agape is translated as love, but agape is not an emotion. Listen to this. Agape is not an emotion, but a decision. Agape is love. It is an act of the will. It's a behavior. This love we hear about in Scripture over and over again. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. We'll get to that in a minute. Is this word agape. And it means love in action. Love that puts the needs of another human being ahead of your own needs. Christian love, friends, is a verb. And with that in mind, this love is not an emotion. I want you to listen to a couple texts you've heard before. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, The life I live, Paul says, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a verb. Some of you are going to watch the Super Bowl today, right? And the Pats will hopefully lose. Just kidding. I don't really care, frankly. Uh, my wife does, but I don't really care. You will see somebody hold up a sign behind the goalpost. It says John 3.16, which says the following, that God so loved the world that he lavished butterflies and puppies. That's not what it says. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, hear me. This was a big one for me when I learned this. Christian love, God's nature love is a verb. God's love for you is a verb. It is what you do for someone else. Agape love, which I'm going to talk about in a second, is all about putting the needs of someone else ahead of your own. It is a love that acts. Friends, when I discovered this, when I realized this, it changed my whole conception of Christianity. Because Christianity is not about wishful thinking and naively ignoring the suffering in the world and saying, oh, fiddly-dee, nonsense. On the contrary, on the exact opposite, on the contrary, Christianity is about directly acknowledging the suffering of this world, its sin, its brokenness, and doing something about it. That's Christian love. And if you look at all the great social movements in history, the end of the slave trade, the end of segregation, the end of child labor laws in the Church of England for especially, just to name a few, all of these were instigated and grounded in and caused by Christians. Why? Because, friends, in Christianity, love is a verb. Let me give you a practical example, which hopefully will help you. This one, when I was a kid, I thought was nonsense. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, I say to you, Jesus says to you, love your enemies. If you think of love as an emotion, then Jesus' words are completely and utterly foolish. Nonsense. Because enemies are, by definition, people that you don't like. Right? Everybody's got them. We don't admit it, but we do. People that have wronged you or whatever, hurt you or caused you pain. People that are toxic in your life, that you are supposed to avoid them, that have hurt you. Jesus says, love them. Well, wait a minute. Wait a second, Jesus. If, if uh, an enemy is by definition somebody that I don't like, how in God's name am I supposed to love them? Well, if love is a verb, then you can. God commands you not to like people. There's lots of people you don't like. He commands you to love them, to put their needs ahead of your own. Why? Because he did it for you. And an, an act, if love is an act of the will, if loving your enemies is an act of behavior, you can, in fact, do that even if you don't like that person. It's easier, way easier, to love someone that you also like, right? It's easier to agape somebody who you also phileos, your friend. But that's not what Jesus says. He says you have to agape even those whom you don't like. Love them. Put their needs ahead of your own, whether you like, like them or not. So the pr first thing I want you to see, and I hope this is helpful for you because it was for me, that Christian love is an act of the will, a behavior. It is not an emotion. The second thing I want you to see then is what does this practical, what does this love in action look like? Well, read it again with this whole new perspective. Well, not new perspective, real perspective. Paul lists out several things. He says love is patient and kind and rejoices and protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres and never fails. All verbs, if you notice. And philosophers have always wondered, how do you instill virtue in people? If you read the Greeks, Greek philosophers, the Romans didn't care about this sort of thing, but the Greeks did. And they would always wonder, how did you get people to live more virtuously? And there's really no answer. 
until you get to Jesus. And here it is. There's no secret that these behaviors, patience, kindness, uh, truth, protection, hope, all flow from agape love. The presumption of putting the needs of somebody else ahead of your own. If you put someone else's needs ahead of your own, even if you don't like them, guess what? You will learn. You will become more patient. You will become more kind. You will become more trusting, more truthful. It will change you. So let me just challenge you. This is, this is big. It was for me. I want you to think of somebody right now who you just don't really like. Don't tell them maybe necessarily that. But I want you to think of somebody who you struggle with. Maybe it's a coworker or somebody in your church or maybe it's a fellow student or maybe it's whomever. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's a spouse or a family member. You've all got somebody. I want you to just dial in on one person and I want you to make a decision to love them as Christ commands. Put their needs first. Strive to see the world from their perspective. It'll change you. It's supposed to. But there's more to it. And this is where I'm going to wrap up and this is the important part. Christianity, friends, is not just an exercise in manners. Christianity is not a social ethic of being a nice person. No. There's a reason why you and I are commanded to put the needs of other people ahead of our own. And that reason is because as Christians, Jesus has done that for you and me, God knows. In other words, Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, incarnate, made man, took on human flesh, walked in your shoes. Scripture says he knows every sin, he experienced every temptation you did, but did not sin. Jesus does not sin. He takes your sins instead on himself, and he dies on the cross to pay for that, to save you from hell. In other words, he put your needs ahead of his own. And now, for God's sake, Scripture says, go and do likewise. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, that's the church. Since God loved us so much, we ought also to love one another, agape. If you look at the text where it describes the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God loves the Father and the Son, it's all the same word, agape. It's an action. It's a verb. Christians are called to be patient and kind towards others because Jesus Christ was patient and kind towards you. When you didn't deserve it, God knows, neither did I. And if you see life from that lens, that when we love others, we're doing it because God loved us first. Agape love just kind of flows out of you naturally. Let me challenge you today, friends, to deal with this love. To love someone who maybe you don't really like all that much. Maybe somebody who you've forgotten to put their needs ahead of your own. If you're married, if you put, if you're both parts of that spouse's in that marriage put the needs of the other ahead of their own, man, your marriage will soar. Let me challenge you this week to love someone maybe who doesn't love you back. My Baptist friends will say, love on them. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to give you patience and kindness, and see that situation from the other person's perspective, just as Jesus has done it for you. Blessed is he who hears the word of God and keeps it. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.